0: Father, this morning we we honor you and we honor the Word of God, and we're so glad to be able to open the Bible and here to have you speak to us. And again today, such a very practical matter uh, in terms of our money and our possessions, the things that we say we own, but at times own us. Uh, We pray for this time for all of us in the room and for our uh, sister churches, Pastor Kevin as he preaches this morning at Central Bible and for Pastor Tyler down at Grace Community, and also for our pastoral intern, Nate, as he preaches at his home church this morning for the first time up at Lake Taps, for your word to be blessed in all of these places, God's people encouraged, and all of us drawn closer to you. So do that. We pray today in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. So uh, looking at your sermon notes, my goodness sakes, just a, a few things to get us all on board, all right? We are working our way through 2 Corinthians, which is a letter. Of course, we often call it a Bible book, and I get it, it but it's, a, it's really a letter. And um, uh, the church at Corinth, of course, was a troubled place. They had all kinds of messiness to them. 1 Corinthians is very ample uh, evidence of that. You come to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, and Paul is going to spend a, a couple of chapters, chapters 8 and 9, talking about really financial issues. And we addressed some of this last week. And just to remind us all, okay, um, financial matters, love of money, the Bible speaks against the love of money. I mentioned to us last week that loving money is not just something that is a temptation for the rich, whoever those people are. (laughs) Certainly not us. No, the love of money is something that can, 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 can affect anyone's heart, whether you have little or much. In fact... As I mentioned last week, sometimes those who have less really struggle with loving money more than those who have more, because it's what they think about all the time, needing more of it. So we can love money and not have a lot of it, and uh, of course, the opposite is true. Sometimes those who have more love it less and even give more freely. So the Lord knows. The Lord knows those things about all of us and our hearts. And I asked this last week as we think about money, I I said here, as you see in the section called today's text, money really, our approach to money and possessions, it's first of all a heart issue. That is, what do you love? What do you love? What owns your heart? Where do you find your security? What lets you sleep well at night? If the markets are down, what happens to you? Do you lose your sense of security and safety? Sometimes we put our trust in our health or those around us or an economy or comfort or a secure country and things like that as our brothers and sisters around the world, perhaps in Ukraine and so on, lose all of those things. So what's your source of security? What do you love the most? What owns your heart? Well, these are things that the Bible addresses very bluntly. It isn't just giving financial advice. It's talking to us about really important things. We noted last week... Uh, Verse verse 9 of chapter 8. That is, Paul puts the story of Jesus, we call it the gospel. The word gospel in the Bible means good news. It's the good news of Jesus. He inserts that right in the text here on money. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He points to Jesus and his coming down from heaven and taking on humanity. And then going to the cross where he paid the price for all of our sin, uh, died, was buried, raised to new life as we celebrated Easter, ascended to heaven, and the Bible says coming again. Paul points to the story of Jesus and says, you think you give a lot? You think you're generous? Let's look at Jesus. Uh, he, he he gave even more, far more of a generous heart. Let's be like him. So we'll cover more of those issues uh, from, from last week's text, but I want to come to today's uh, we'll be in chapter 8, 16 to 24, giving wisely some words of wisdom from somebody talking 2,000 years ago. Still fits. It still fits, as you'll see. I want to read this section of God's word as together we, we come to the scriptures this morning for God's wisdom. Second Corinthians 8, starting verse 16, Paul says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course. So that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brother's, They are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Okay, well, so here we go. Several things, as you see laid out in front of you, that I would like to talk about. I mentioned already that the church at Corinth was kind of a troubled place. And so here we find Paul being amazed. I read amazement here. I hope you heard it too. Because I sure did. If you think I'm making too much of this, that's okay. But it's the way I, the way I heard Paul's inflection in the text. Titus, my first comment then God's grace in Titus. So Titus is a young leader. He's, he's a Gentile guy sent to a, you know, largely a Jewish place, which is enough to make a young guy kind of scared. But he has been sent by Paul to Corinth as his representative. And you remember, we've seen in 2 Corinthians, it took him a long time to get back. So we saw that in chapter two, I gave you the, the text here, saw it in chapter seven, Paul says, where's Titus, where's Titus? I mean, Titus can't send an email or a text and say, you know, I'm doing fine, they haven't eaten me up. Uh, he's, he's a young guy, and Paul is worried sick, he really is. He's, he's, he says he could no, find no rest in his spirit until, until Titus, he finds it, finally sees Titus again in chapter seven. And I put here on your notes, plus 1 Corinthians 16, that's a reference not to miss, the text we read a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul talks about his young guys. Uh, So he says, I'm sending Timothy to you. Remember this? I'm sending Timothy to you. Please be nice to my boy. Uh, And I think the implication is, they're a church on fire. I'm sending one of my young guys. Please don't eat him up. Sometimes churches do this. He's fresh out of seminary or whatever the case may be. I'm sending one of my young guys, oh, please be nice to poor Timothy. Tim, Timmy, okay, that's First Corinthians 16. Then he mentions Apollos in that text. And he says, I, was, I really wanted Apollos to come. I strongly urged him to come. He was not willing at all. So I just put those back to back and think, huh, I wonder what's going on. Apollos, hey, would you go with Tim? No, I'm not going there. So so we come back to Titus, and that all leads to this moment here of, of chapter 8, 16 and 17. Titus, Titus wants to go back to Corinth. No, really, he does. You should be amazed. Paul is amazed. He likes you. You didn't hurt him. I'm sending him back, and it's what it says. He not only accepted our appeal to go back, he is earnest to go of To you, of his own accord. If we were doing this today, the words of his own accord, as I have in the ESV, would be underlined, all caps, so it'd be shouting at you, bold with multiple exclamation marks. How about that? He wants to come to you. No, really, he does. That's the way I read the text. Paul takes two verses to make this point. I'm sending Titus. He, he actually likes you. He's got you in his heart. He actually cares for you, and he's of his own accord. He's coming back. This is amazing stuff. And I I take the time to to, to speak to this because I just want to remind us, the Bible is always set in very human terms, okay? It's always set in very human terms. At the end of the day, all of us and anybody who's ever part of any church or any faith community, we're all just people, we're just people we're just people. The church at Corinth was a pretty messy place at the time sometimes there were there were uh, relational rubs in the church that 's true all over the Bible. The idea that people who go to church somehow have have it together more than those who don 't I think is highly overrated. I remember some years ago at a previous ministry, we spent a lot of time with teenagers and and, and uh, other sorts of younger people and uh, there was a young lady who was part of our, of our, our lives at the time who hadn't, didn't have a lot of church experience. And she came to, to, uh, to worship service one day, and I was standing with her in the back, and she was kind of looking around. I thought she was just looking where to sit. And she said, look at all these people. I thought, uh-huh, yep, yep, I know most of them. She said, look at them. They just think they're so good. And she went on. She said, they, look at They have such easy lives. She didn't. They have such easy lives. They have it so good. And I said, um, can I just introduce you to a few? And just without breaking too much confidence, I started looking around and said, see those guys? Here's the deal with them. And see those people? Barely hanging on by a thread. Those guys over there just declared bankruptcy, lost their business. These people over here, this is on fire, this is on fire. No. I said, "Ma'am, I would say her name. This this room is filled with people whose lives are on fire. They're hanging on by a thread, and they came here today to get strength and hope from God. They're not here because their lives are all put together. I promise. the The human element in the church is it's very, very real." And I say this because, you know, here you got Titus and and Timothy and Paulus and Paul saying, wow, he actually wants to see you guys again. That's weird uh, as I take it. Um, I just just want to remind us, when you come to church or when you come to faith in Christ, however all that works, you don't get suddenly this magic zap that makes you a perfect person. Isn't that good to know? I mean, because it isn't just you. It's everybody around you. you know, if you woke up this morning and said, man, I'm a mess, but I'm going to go. I've got to go act like it's together. You had a big fight in the, the car on the way here. Don't worry. Nobody told me. And, you, and you, it's like, all right, kids, act normal. And off you go to walk into church. This is the stuff. I know that. You walk in. You go, yeah. Oh, hi. Fine. later I, i know this is this is reality and the bible is full of real people who don't get it right all the time and god sends the gospel to the world through people who don't get it right all the time and mess it up and misspeak and get it wrong and oh it's us so that's good news god could have sent the gospel the story of jesus to the world through angels who never get it wrong apparently but he didn't He sends us. And I I, I just remind you here, um, if you see my second bullet point, there's no reason to be shocked when humans do what humans do. Now, I realize, you know, you hear different things, and I I know, I know. People disagree. Christians disagree. Say something they shouldn't say. Even Christian maturity does not mean perfection i gave you two texts up there as you see in bold and i'll just remind you what those are about you can look at those a couple hundred of us meet in small groups throughout the week so you might talk about this but in acts 15 there's a story of the apostle paul and barnabas you remember it's right there it's a public thing because it's written in the bible forever this is great if you're one of the apostles man if you mess it up they write it down tell everybody until jesus comes about the day you you guys couldn't get over it Well, in in Acts 15, yeah, Paul and Barnabas ran into each other. And it was about this young kid, John Mark. John Mark, I think he, if you read the story of John Mark carefully and trace the story, I think he was one of the privileged young people. I think he came from a little cushy of a life, didn't have a whole lot of, you know, hair on his chest. And anyway, he came along on a mission trip with these guys, and he bailed. He bailed. He was part of Paul and Barnabas and some other guys. He went home to his mother. That's the way I read the text. He went home to his mother, said, this is way too hard. I think he was one of those guys who was used to having servants, not being one. And so he went home. Well, they get ready for another trip. Barnabas says, hey, let's get John. Paul's going, don't think so. Barnabas says, oh, come on, give the kid another chance. Paul says, yeah, he's gonna go home again to his mother. He needs a little chance at home to grow up. Come on. Barnabas goes, "Uh, no, he's coming. Paul says, No, he's not. Well, it's described in the text as a heated argument that they, agreeing to disagree meant they went separate ways and everybody knew about it. Okay? Big argument between two big guys in the church. All right? Yeah, amen. (laughs) Wow. Barnabas took John Mark and said, oh, come with me, young man. Paul took Silas and went the other way. Wow. That wouldn't have looked like a win at the time. It would look like a real messy mark on a church. Yeah. I'm just saying there were people. There were people that disagreed. Now God used it for good, and you can trace all the the fallout of that, of course. Good things did end up happening because of that. But at the moment, it was kind of messy. And people, if they were writing newspaper articles about it, would say, hey, big fight down at First Baptist or whatever it was. (laughs) Man, here they'll go those Christians again. Can't get along. They even had a split. Yeah, I know. I know. It's because... We're all just people, and sometimes we get it wrong. James, of course, says a similar thing, James three, two. He's talking, it's a whole chapter about the tongue. He said, if you're able to, uh, if if you never misspeak, if you never get it wrong with your words, you're perfect. Able to bridle your whole body. Yeah, whoever gets it right. I think about this now and then as one who talks a lot, you know, is a big part of my life. Sometimes it's terrifying. No, I mean it. You could say it wrong. It could sound wrong. It could be wrong. What if someone hears what I didn't mean? What if somebody hears what I did mean? Sometimes, oh, man, that's, that can be a problem. Lord, help my mouth. Help my heart. Because the Bible says your mouth speaks from what fills your heart. But James 3.2, if anyone never says it wrong, that person's Perfect. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Well, I just I just look here at Titus, God's grace in Titus. Titus actually wants to go back, and Paul can't believe it. That's pretty cool. Okay, now, moving to my other two sections, really, that, that speak more to the financial issue, okay? That's what this broader text is about. I, I guess the, the part about Titus is kind of a bonus bit of material I just didn't want to miss. But Paul's going to do some things here that involve financial accountability, and this starts in verse 18, So he takes two verses to talk about Titus, and he says, With Titus, then, we're sending this other guy, he's not named, the brother who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Not only that, he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that's being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Here's what's going on if you haven't been a part of this conversation yet. So, in the first part of chapter eight, Paul mentions the churches of Macedonia who have been very, very generous in helping out the needs of a bunch of Christians in in the area around Jerusalem. You remember we talked about this last week that in the day where droughts could just decimate an area, things were really bad in Jerusalem. And history bears this out. There's a time period where there was just just things went really bad economically for the area around Jerusalem. And there were Christian people who didn't have a lot, and so the, the people in Macedonia who didn't have a lot either, they were going to take up a collection to send to the folks in, 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 in Jerusalem. And Paul was saying, look at you guys. You guys are stone cold broke. And you're still passing an offering plate. Good for you. And he mentions it here to the people at Corinth. Hey, you know what? Did you see what's going on over there in Macedonia? Those churches took up a collection to help this need. Uh, my goodness sakes, they don't have a lot. And they begged to, to, to take up a collection. Now, the churches, church at Corinth had also said they wanted to give. Like you know, some months before, and so now Paul is saying in this chapter, "Hey, it's it's time. You guys kind of promised to write a check, remember that? And you got started on that." First Corinthians sixteen says, "Let's let's finish that process. Um, if you intended to give, it's time. Pull the trigger, pass the plate, pass the bucket, and let's 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 take care of this." So he's getting ready now to take that money to the church in Jerusalem and help them out. So how do you send money in the first century? Well, it's not a wire transfer. It's not a bank to bank draft. It's not even a certified cashier's check. Back in the day, this would have been done with bags of good hard currency, like gold, silver, bags of it. And it's gonna go from one area to another. How do you wanna do it? Do you want to be that person throw it in your backpack off you go hold on now how much well it doesn't say but it does in verse 20 call it a generous gift paul's pretty smart and then as now he knows this heading financial wisdom calls for human accountability then as now accountability for funds that were given is important So Paul gets a group together, a group of unrelated people, starts with Titus, then he sends this other guy who is well known and has been appointed by the churches. It says that in verse 19, we choose that person. I don't think he's named because probably this letter was carried by him. And so if you think, well, who is this guy? Is it this guy or this guy? Well, by the time you get the letter and read about it, he's standing there in your living room. So I think that's why Paul doesn't take the time to name them. There's two unnamed people. Well, they're right there. So he didn't see the need to do it. But, but he's pointing out the kind of people that are involved. Titus, one of Paul's uh, partners. And then this other guy who's, who's well-known. He's got a good reputation, appointed by the churches. And then if you look down at 22, there's another guy who he, Paul says has been often tested and found earnest in many matters. He's now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So he's, he knows about them, and he's going, man, I'm, I'm up for this. He's more earnest than ever before. I want to I be a part of this. I want to do this right. Paul speaks again about Titus, partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And so he's going to send, well, frankly, these bags of money with a posse of guys. Now, I ask here, What could possibly go wrong with sending bags of hard-earned cash uh, with some guys overland on a journey that's going to take days and days? Well, there are several things that could go wrong, a whole bunch of things. For example, uh, I mentioned here simple robbery. Uh, The setting of the Good Samaritan was not unusual, where you're traveling from one place to another, Jerusalem to Jericho and so on. You're going up a mountainous trail. There are rocks to hide behind. There were bad people, and you didn't have a cell phone to call 911. So if somebody jumps out from behind a rock, it's, it's them and you. My bet is, though he doesn't say it in the text, this is my opinion. I'm betting these guys were packing. Swords, that is, swords. The swords were common, a uh, method of defense. They're referred to a number of places with the apostles going out and doing things back when Jesus was hanging out with them. Hey, uh, Lord, do we bring very many swords? Well, we got two for the group. You know, well, that'll be good. You got two guys that are carrying. Make sense? Because you're packing a bunch of other people's money. I'm betting these guys have a little friend um, tucked into their robe someplace. In case somebody jumps out, you got not just one. There's at least three that are mentioned who are going to go, okay, you want to go? And they're going to defend that money. I, don't quote me on that, but I suspect so simple robbery was a reality. Carelessness. If you've got a whole bunch of little bags of cash or change, of course, gold and silver, and you're traveling from place to place, you don't want to be the guy that said, I started off with four of those. Man, I've only got three. Under my pillow at the last, uh, you know, Motel 6 we stayed at. Uh, well, simple Carelessness. Internal mismanagement of funds, and I just mentioned Judas. I mean, this is how obvious it is. John mentions in John twelve six, Judas, who was like the treasurer for the for Jesus and the disciples. And I think this is added later after Judas has left the group, like died. Uh, but John says at the time he had the money bag and he used to help himself. Now the rest of the, the gospels don't mention that, but John says that he used to dip into the bag. You know, I don't know if they had a ledger. My hunch is they didn't. They probably, I mean, just Judas keep the bag for us. When it's time to buy lunch, he pays the bill. What could possibly be wrong with that? Well, we had a hundred bucks. Now we have 37. Lunch was 12. (laughs) Judas. Hey, well, you know, huh? No, Paul here in sending a chunk of change he, he, he takes appropriate measures, not because he doesn't trust somebody, but appropriate measures to say, uh, we don't want to do this wrong. So you're going, you're going, and you're going. And my comments about probably a little something to take care of things, um, yeah, yeah. Paul calls for human accountability, a trusted group, as I mentioned here, to carry the funds. I also point you to Ezra one, seven to eleven, as an Old Testament example, hundreds of years before Paul, where they did a similar thing, where there were valuables to be carried from one place to another, Babylon back to Jerusalem, when the when the Jewish people in uh, who were dispersed had come were coming back, they they had a bunch of valuable things. You didn't just say throw them in your backpacks. They counted them. They counted them out and said, okay. Who's going to be in charge? You're going to be in charge. Here's what I'm counting out to you. They're paying attention is, is, is I think, the point of the text. Transferred by a trusted person. So you've got Titus. You've got this other guy who's, who's got a good reputation, well-known, appointed by the churches. Then you've got another guy in verse 22. He's been checked out. Titus. Now, because I like to highlight certain things in the text, there's a main point here, which is really the big point is about Uh, I think, money and being wise about its use. But I want to just press on a couple of smaller issues that are part of this, okay? So, for example, in verse 23, there are a couple things I want to say. Uh, First of all, Paul speaks of the churches. He says, as for our brothers, they're messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. If our topic today were the local church, this would be a wonderful text to think through together at greater length the churches the local churches their messengers of the local churches the glory of christ the local church full of imperfect messy people is the glory of christ really well yes in fact imperfect stumbling along having to come back and say i'm sorry god again and probably tomorrow too the glory of Christ really a trophy of his grace this sounds like paul in the book of ephesians but 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 god delights in his redeemed even the messy ones which is kind of all of us he delights in us can you imagine so there's a whole subject here the churches, the glory of Christ, local church, to churches, it's not the church, capital C, it's the churches, local churches, local churches, messy, broken, and at times people yelling about churches doing it so wrong. Yes, the glory of Christ seen in the local church. I like that. that that's, there's a lot to be said there. But the text right before that, I want wanted to comment on as well. He, he's speaking about our brothers. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ, now please, please get this. It, it may not affect your current world, but i've I have spoken many times about how the term "apostle" is used in different ways in the New Testament. This is a big deal today, okay because there are different church groups that say, "Well, we've got apostles too," and other places like, well we're all apostles." Because the term is sent ones. Or as I read a blog today, it was talking about, a, they were trying to make a point about women and saying, see, there were female apostles. And I don't mind all the different discussions and arguments, but I want to handle the text well, okay? I, I just think whatever your opinion on all these, please handle the Bible well. Just do that. And, and it, would, it would be good for us. But the term apostle is used, you can demonstrate this if you study the New Testament, the the term apostle or sent one is used demonstrably three different ways in the New Testament. I've mentioned two pretty routinely. This is an example of the third, where it says messengers. It's a derivative of the term apostle. They're apostles? Is that the point of the text? They're apostles of the church? No, that really isn't the point. All of our major translations, I've checked. I looked at yours. It's, I, I, it says something like messengers or servants. Do you have something else? Because I don't think so. It's possible. I maybe missed yours. Yeah, I don't think I looked at the Net Bible and a couple others. But, but all the major translations will say messengers of the churches or servants of the churches. It's using the term apostle again. So I, I, I could be very happy to discuss this at greater length if it's an issue for you. But the Bible speaks of apostles, capital A, this would be book of Acts chapter one. There were 12 disciples. Judas left, you remember, committed suicide, died. And in that first chapter of Acts, they, they were selecting someone else who had seen Christ, walked with them, seen Christ die on the cross, rise from the dead, seen him alive. Seeing the resurrected Christ was a qualification for that, that inner circle, capital A Apostle. So Matthias was selected. And it says he was added to the 11 apostles. He joined the group of 11. He became number 12. The apostle Paul saw the resurrected Christ. That's why he's called the apostle Paul, a limited group. Now, the Bible also uses the term apostle in a, in a sense of, like we would call it a missionary, a sent one, an official representative sent to go. So sometimes the same term apostle is used for that. It's also used, I would argue, a third way, here a messenger of. So I, I don't think like sent to go to some other place on behalf of the gospel, but here a messenger of the church for a specific task. So in the New Testament, you have the same word used, and if you're if you are a sloppy exegete, you will say it's all the same. It's not. And you can press on that from Acts 1, the whole book of Ephesians. The, the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers, etc. Built on the foundation of a certain group. So capital A Apostles, the term is used elsewhere. So if someone says to me, hey, I'm, I, you know, we, in our church, we have several who are apostles. I, I want to know what sense in which they mean that. Because I'm going to bet a whole lot of money you don't mean the first capital A Apostle because those guys are all dead. Okay, and you look pretty well. Uh, If you're a missionary, you might argue you're a sent one. That's possible. But today, as I see the term, I don't see it used for people today in an authoritative way. This is a big deal in terms of who speaks for God. And I press toward, please handle the Bible well. Okay? And I hear people, well, it doesn't really matter. We're all apostles and I wanna know what you meant by that. Small a, small a, third sense, sure, I'll grant that. The minute you say, well, I'm telling you that because I'm a, you know, an apostle, I'm gonna cry foul, okay? Please use the Bible correctly. And when somebody says, well, no, there were female apostles in the, in the New Testament. What do you mean by that? Because there was a group of 12, and then Paul got added, and I'm pretty sure they were all males at that point. You can go from there in your discussions but I would press on that. Okay, it's a minor point in the text, but it's a big deal today. Okay, enough said. Move on, Jay, move on. Okay, verses 20 and 21, back to finances. So financial wisdom calls for human accountability. Financial wisdom calls for transparency and blameless practices. Right in the middle of this discussion of the human messengers, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, we take this course, the sending of the money with a group, so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. So it matters to Paul that they be blameless, honorable, above board. We would use the term transparent when it comes to handling money, that's, that's a significant goal. We, we don't want to be uh, worthily blamed. We want to be blameless about this generous gift. And then verse 21 speaks to his motives. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, you know, God sees. Yeah, that's true. But also in the sight of man or people. We want to, we want to be respectable in the sight of somebody who says, so how do you handle your money? So, I'm putting here on your sermon notes, Paul explains his plan and his motive. And of course, he sees the dangers even in false accusations. False accusations can ruin a ministry too, can't they? They don't even have to be accurate. But today, of course, with social media, people can ruin the reputation of a church or a pastor or anybody else at the drop of a hat. It's true. And of course, anything you read on the internet is probably true, and that's the way people take it. So false accusations as well, uh, dangerous time in a certain sense, uh, certainly. But Paul's concerned about this. We don't want to have, we don't want to do something uh, in, in a way that would be dishonorable. My second bullet point there, Christian ministry should aim at what is honorable in God's sight and what is honorable in public view. And I'm saying, yes, our reputation does matter. Our reputation does matter. And I, I'm giving you a whole list of verses here, and I'll comment on them in a moment, but here's, here's what I'm after. We live in a culture that, and we join them, we join our culture in this, in saying too freely, too freely, it doesn't matter what people think. You ever say that? Yeah, well, it, it, it depends, doesn't it? There are some areas where you'd say that, and you'd be correct. There are areas where you'd say that, you'd be wrong there actually are matters about your life where it matters what people think. Not that you can always control that, but I'm just simply saying, let's think carefully about what things it doesn't matter about and what things it does. And just to help us think about that, uh, here are some texts. You can look at those and discuss them in your community group this week. Acts 6.3, that's the place where there are some very practical needs to be met that involve food and money with underserved, an underserved group. And among the things they were looking for and who they were going to put in charge, it said, find people of good reputation. What does that mean? Well, it means they had a good reputation. <laughs> That's what it meant. It mattered what people thought. That's all I'm pressing on. It mattered what people thought. Find people with a good reputation and, and put them in charge. 1 Timothy 3.7, as Paul describes the kind of men who should be chosen to be elders. Part of that, he says, they should have a good reputation with those outside the family of faith. Because if they're a jerk in the community, you don't want them to come lead in here. Or if they're accused of being a jerk in the community, you want to think twice. So a good reputation outside as well. Not only inside. In fact, it does matter. first, first Peter 2.12. Peter says a similar thing. He's not speaking from the standpoint of being perfect. You know that he wasn't. But he says, keep your behavior excellent among he says, the Gentiles, the, the nations, the outside people who don't know Jesus, keep your behavior excellent among people who don't know Christ outside the family of faith. So then the thing that they accuse you or something like that, that they'll see that there's no, there's no substance to it. And Daniel, I reference as well, the Old Testament story of Daniel, who lived in a very, very pagan place. And he, he had a reputation that was stellar. So that when people tried to accuse him, they were going through his books and his history and bank accounts, they couldn't find anything to accuse him of. That's pretty amazing. And they said to one another, the only way we're gonna get him is if we get him in regard to the law of his God, which is what they went about doing. But reputation is all I'm saying here. So, so Paul is after handling things in a way that's honorable in God's sight, indeed, he sees, but also honorable in the sight of people who might look at what you do. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about this, of course, in terms of what Paul is describing, and I'm thinking of it in terms of how a church functions, or a charity to which you give money. This is very practical stuff. What do you know about the financial practices of the church you attend, whether this one or another one? Listening from somewhere else, what do you know about the financial practices? Do you know things? What questions have you asked? Well, here at Sunset, we, every year, uh, publish at annual meeting time our financial practices, from money in the door to every penny that goes out. Beca- and we describe how, what the chain is of who keeps track of what and who knows what, how it's handled. I hope you read those things because we give them out every year. I hope you don't just go, oh, well, that's all right, I trust them. Oh, please read that. No, really, you should know. That's accountability on your part. Who's keeping track? What's, what's going on? Who's paying attention? Who knows what information? How are things handled? You should know, I'm saying. That's true at our other partner churches. People in those settings should know as well. You should ask questions. Other places that come and ask for your money. Somebody calls you on the phone, drops you something in the mail, Sounds like a great, okay, hold on. What do you know? Have you asked any questions? I'm not assuming evil of anybody. I'm saying accountability on our part. We should ask questions. We should want to know. Who's paying attention? Who is this again? Help me understand. And if we send $100, who's keeping track of that? See, these are right questions. And it isn't more Christian to say, well, I just trust everybody. You hear me? Where, wherever you disperse funds that God has entrusted to you, you really should pay attention to how those things are handled. I, I mentioned a whole lot of this under the section called Responding to God's Word, and I will, I will let you look at that. Sometimes God's people are woefully um, naive, and when the Bible verses are used or a person mentions the name of Jesus, we're, we're probably pretty quick to just say, ah, sounds like a good deal. Okay, hold on really, God's people need to, at times, be wiser when it comes to money, okay? That's why my title today, Giving Wisely as an Act of Stewardship. Well, indeed, last week, giving freely, an act of grace. Here, giving wisely. Paul describes how he does it. We should think about how we do it. Now, I'm going to my final point, final bullet point, and we'll be done, okay? I want to circle back to 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and I want to remind us that this kind of conversation, what you talk about at church, money, it's part of the gospel. It is because, as we said last week, there's not one square inch in all of God's creation over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not cry, mine, Abraham Kuyper, Dutch theologian. Not one square inch that isn't his. Everything you have belongs to him. You are responsible to God for everything you have wish you have or don't have. I mentioned last week, whether you have little, uh, sorry, much or little, (laughs) you're responsible to God for it. Do well, do well as a steward of what God has given you, okay? Gospel, right in the middle of it all. Would you stand with me, please, as we close our time this morning in prayer? Our Father, we... uh, we in this area, this is a first world country, so to speak, we have been blessed with a lot. At times we feel our lack in many areas, but we are well cared for compared to most. And we thank you for how, you, how you've done that. Thank you for most of us have, have food to eat when we are hungry and a place to call home, whether big or little humble, or grand. Um, and Father, we're aware of many around us who don't have those things, and so wherever we can, we're glad to help and give in a wise way. Please help us with this. We want to be good stewards of what you've placed in our care. So, so help us with that. Thank you for each person here for the, 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 the privileges you've given us, not only of stuff, but of opportunities in life and health. Each day, a gift from you. A place to serve. Pray for the week ahead, Holy Week, so quickly upon us, for the memorial service this Wednesday, that the gospel would be very, very loud in our caring for people. Help us with this. And meet, meet each of us right where we are, our Father, this week as we go from here. In Jesus' name, amen.